0: Welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. This is Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Sam Gregson. Sam Gregson is a particle physicist and teacher of science and critical thinking in the UK. Today we speak about the need for critical thinking in current discourse and how media manipulates us to manipulate ourselves. Here you go. <laughs> the um, I'm surfing the internet um, typhoon of outrage
1: we 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 got some new definitions on uh on uh, toxic masculinity, didn't we? Or Well
0: yeah, I guess so. I, okay, so did you see that Gillette ad? Yep, I, okay. I had I had a look. It turns out that the woman who directed that um you know, is pretty far left leaning or pretty hardcore, uh, feminist woman, um, which I have nothing wrong with that. But like one of her videos, is, one of her first videos is, is a bunch of singing vaginas. Um, and it's like a five minute, uh, like pay or, or like praise of the vagina. And it's got like different, um, uh, metaphors or, or visual metaphors for the vagina, like, uh, speaking about it. And it's all about the celebration of, okay of the vulva. Um, and so then you've if you been,
1: been going down the rabbit hole, so. well,
0: not really. I mean, I did, I did one breakdown of the video where I just kind of like did a close reading frame by frame and, and just showed that it's basically a bunch of, you know, uh, feminist tropes, uh, yeah. about masculinity and toxic masculinity. And, yeah. um, and the problem with that, you know, you could probably say that there's some truth there, but like, you can also say that maybe the way to change society isn't to castigate people and condescend to them and, and, and judge them. Um, but you I know think, everybody
1: there was two arguments that 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 I sort of or or two camps that I saw sort of set up over the over the advert and I think I think there's some truth to both of them I think there was one camp the sort of more feminist leaning people like you said who were like why are you complaining we're just trying to tell men to be better and you yeah. know don't rape people and 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 don't abuse people and why do you have a problem with that and I think there's some truth in that and then was the, there was the other side who were offended by the by the advert who was saying why are you putting you know a little bit of rough and tumble at a barbecue or you know youths being a bit out of order and then getting told off by their parents on a par with me too and sexual harassment and and rape? why are you making that sort of spectrum wide argument and mm-hmm. uh, and putting the two on an equal footing so i think i think there was a reason to be offended and there was also hidden in there with a lot of the tropes some reasonable messaging that, that that kind of got lost in the in the hysteria of adding in all those tropes as you say so yeah i think it was a a bit of a mess but i guess in the end the market will decide yeah. whether whether Gillette's price goes up or not and uh, and we'll see where we are with that
0: yeah maybe we'll see the return of the barbershop you know the, the male <laughs> barbershop with the with the whiskey and the cigars and
1: there we go that would be, would be actually, yeah exactly <laughs> we'll have people uh, wandering down the street you know doing the uh the singing with the hats and the uh and the cane <laughs> that's it's what we need up.
0: we need more well, quartets exactly. exactly maybe maybe like the resurgence of the four horsemen four horsemen <laughs> of the new uh new atheism uh could just be recast as as a <laughs> you know a quartet An of activist, singers
1: activist quartet <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then there was something else that just happened this weekend which is pretty fascinating. Um there was a, a like a 30-second clip of a Native American man um beating a drum in the face of a teenage boy with a uh, Make American Great again hat on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington DC. And that clip went viral. Uh ostensibly showing just how rude these young MAGA-wearing kids are surrounding this Native American, being very disrespectful to the chant. But then, and everybody dogpiled on that, because apparently to wear a Make Make America Great Again hat is inherently hateful. It's it's hate propaganda or paraphernalia. And then a longer video came out, uh, I think yesterday, uh, that showed, like, the whole context of, like, this about an hour and 45 minute context of what was going on. And the kids were having kind of a a shouting match, uh, with these three or four nation of is, uh, like black uh, Israelites uh, and they're they're talking about how the white people are cave people and and yeah. Doing a lot of pretty incendiary language language yeah. that from any other group would be considered as as openly hateful But because yeah. it's a certain group with certain categories. It's not hateful. It's just you know free speech um, yeah. And then the, the Native American man walks between them and then starts walking into the crowd of kids so So now everybody's like, well, what was really happening? Where's all the context? And it's just really fascinating because like happens over and over and over again, it really shows how conditioned we are to react to certain signals. And, yep. and really the, the first video, the the kid and the Native American were just having kind of a standoff, and you could read anything that you wanted into that. Yep. The kid yep. could be smirking, he could be laughing, mocking at the guy, or he could just be respectfully just like listening and like absorbing the music. Yep. Um, so everybody well, brings their own thing to it.
1: Of course they do. And I, I haven't actually seen this clip. I just caught the story on, on BBC before we started the call. And I think it's amazing how quickly these things, given the current climate, get picked up without any of the due diligence being done. And I think mm. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the emotional impact that these things have beyond the reality of what actually happened. And then beyond that is these new sites you know who would who would share a site who would share a, a story like that someone like a vox or a huff post straight away without really doing the due diligence know that they're going to get a lot of clicks and likes off that emotional response mm-hmm. so there's value to that story even beyond the sort of objective reality of what happened because there is that narrative sat there waiting to be fed that kind of news mm-hmm. um and it, it's very difficult it's very difficult unless you go to a range of new sources that are going to sort of Overcome your inbuilt bias and you're going to average over those to find out the stats. It's yeah. uh, and what objectively happened, it's very, very difficult. Um, and as you say, people get caught in these bubbles where they're either watching Fox News every day or they're watching you know CNN or reading Hofpo all day and they're conditioned to accept and expect a certain outcome from a, a lot of these situations.
0: Yeah, and how do we? <sighs> I guess this might be a scientific question maybe outside of your area of expertise but it just makes me think of like a Skinner box or or rats at the pellet bar, you know, like the rat has like a certain sort of conditioning and these sites, like you say, are feeding off of basically what I think of as the lowest common denominator. Like they're trying to tap into a surge of attention and there's certain units of attention that will provoke a large response. And the cool thing about this one story is that it gets a lot of people invested on one camp and then more comes out and then a whole bunch more people. Yeah yeah go at it so it, you you get to like reap the traffic going both ways
1: yeah you get to you get to reap the traffic of the people who are offended immediately and then the sort of um people like yourself who look at it and go actually let's break yeah. this down and push back the other way and then you actually i think you actually get a third wave not to use that sort of uh, loaded term but a third wave <laughs> coming back the other way of the people who go oh well you're only fighting against this because you are the first thing that we said you are in the anyway so yeah. you know what why would you why would you stand up and try and defend these people with any sort of objective journalism that just highlights how racist and mm-hmm. and bigoted you are in the first instance so you get these sort of uh waves crashing back and forth that eventually sort of die out as yeah. you as you get each iteration but i think hmm. i think two waves is probably underselling it you get you get three or four uh, <laughs> bit of tug of war until we get the next thing comes along and then it sort of dies down
0: well, how do you think that we can? I mean, is that just inherent in human attention? Is there any way to uh, reprogram ourselves to be slow to slow down to think critically to not jump to a conclusion? Um, I, it just it just doesn't seem like even if we get more and more people thinking things through, there will always be that rush of reaction. And how do we how do we not let that rush of reaction uh keep on eroding the foundations of civility and and common discourse.
1: I I think I think it's a brilliant question. I think if you could solve it you probably win a Nobel Prize. Hmm. Um I think there's a few things you can do or at least that I enjoy doing one is um you know looking at things from trying to look at things as objectively as possible and getting the news out, out there on that basis. So the idea in the in the UK with the BBC is essentially that it should be non-partisan. Now, of course, there's there's always um, accusations that it is slightly partisan, but trying to get as objective hmm. facts out there as possible. Um, I think you have something like NPR in the in the US, which attempts to do something similar. Hmm. Um, that is potentially one way to go. I think people, I think. At the end of the day, I think it lies with the population. The population have to be as informed as possible. And I think one way I enjoy doing that is is by teaching the scientific method. So I think a lot of scientific outreach concentrates on teaching people facts. So if we have a if I do a science outreach event on the Higgs boson, say it will be this is the Higgs boson. This is why it's important. Here's some amazing facts about the LHC and CERN. But we don't actually teach people If you had to discover this thing for yourself, how would you do it? What would be the steps? What would be the critical steps that you went through? What would be the evidence that you assess? What would be the counter hypotheses that you looked at? I don't think we do enough of teaching people to uh, think critically and and go through that scientific method. There's not enough critical reasoning skills taught in school. There's too much rote learning for me um, as a personal opinion. And, of course, I'm banging my own drum um, on that score. But I think in the end, the responsibility has to lie with the population to be more well-informed. One way that we sort of touched on before of potentially doing that is if I watch a Fox News report and I think "Mm, that's quite convincing. I then go away and watch the CNN report, you know, on the other side. And usually I can find out the, the objective facts that are mentioned by both, which are probably what actually happened, and try and filter out the bias going either way. Um, but it, that takes extra time, um, and it's not as emotionally fulfilling to yeah. to post up on your on your Facebook wall. So, you're right. the The natural reaction is to say, "Aha! There's something that naturally reinforces my own confirmation bias," and th- and then post that up. And it's it's very difficult. It's very very difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. How do we make the? It seems like it seems like what we're caught in is a reactive kind of a a constant reactionary state and and everybody gets to be reactionary for, you know, two sentences and then the other person's reactionary two sentences and stuff like that. And the problem that I'm getting, uh, I'm having with, seeing this happen over and over again is that most people, even if their reaction is genuine for them, their articulation of the reaction is just more and more canned. Like, we all have, like, these certain sorts of arguments that we are all just bringing in and throwing out there, and then we're just playing this game, and it's almost like a, a very rudimentary video game where you have, like, four or five different moves and then the next person has the moves and stuff. And there's no real progress or or really building up anything that can handle nuance
1: i see this i see this particularly on social media and i think i think in some ways it's a function of how much you're allowed to write or how much is sort of socially acceptable to write so you know Mm -hmm. on facebook you can write 10 lines before everyone's you know tldr didn't read it on twitter you have your 140 or 180 characters now and i think within that there has to be a sort of gotcha moment i won you know i got one up on you and it's usually trying to either pick out something that the other person said wrong or straw man them in some way so that you look more morally virtuous than the other person to the people who look in on that argument. So rather than getting to a state where we get towards any sort of objective truth on the argument or any sort of end state, which is useful for all parties to to move forward from, it tends to be a competition to see who can grab the most likes or who can do the most virtue signaling within that short short period of time. Um, So I think the platforms, the structure of them themselves, as well as human nature to want to get one up on, you know, the competition is is, is behind some of that.
0: And how do you foster the same sort of passion towards objectivity that subjectivity has? Subjectivity is like automatically passionate because it's basically built out of passion. But objectivity itself is trying to be dispassionate. But, how yeah. do you, but you still have to mobilize people to be dispassionate. People have to be on fire to be cool. You know, how do we incentivize that?
1: You're right. I, and and I see that in a lot of media um, where, for example, on YouTube, if you do a scripted video, that might not get as many likes. You know, this is a very um, broad stroke opinion, but I think people like people to be raw and visceral and. This is my opinion five seconds after looking at the news story rather than reading three days later, you know, a slow, methodical breakdown of the facts of the case. Um, So I think you're right that that is an issue. How do we incentivize people to be that? Interesting question. I think the way I look at it is I like to think that when I go around in the world, I think as many right things as i can and as few wrong things as i can and i think if we frame it i, I think i think the problem is that we, we've undermined objectivism to such an extent at this t- at this at this point that people don't know what's right or wrong anymore it's just it's just win or lose we have to get back to a state where we say look there are some objective truths that we can get towards um and work towards together and once we've got to that yes we can fight over the um which truths are more important to your particular camp or which, which way you want to go on policy regarding those objective truths. But I think at the, at the moment we've, we've eroded objectivity so far that it it isn't popular anymore. As you say, it doesn't get the emotional reaction and, mm-hmm. and people, because there's so many competing news sources, it's very difficult to actually filter out what are the objective facts of a case at the moment. And it takes work to do that. Um, I think, we have to play up objectivism more we have to make it cool to be a scientist we have to um accept that people's visceral reactions to certain things and their lived experiences quote-unquote in an intersectional sense are not necessarily the true facts of the case but at the moment it seems that seems to be a mainstream um of Mm. the more left-leaning politics that it's more about your feels than it is about objective truth. So you see people like Oprah coming out and saying, you know, tell me your truth. That's the most important thing. Or uh, I know you're in California. So Kamala Harris, I think, said something similar last week um, about don't let people tell you who you are. You know, you tell them who you are. Um, We've eroded, as I say, I've I've said it twice now, but we've eroded objectivism to such an extent and played up subjectivism to such an extent um, Mm -hmm. that I think it's very difficult until we row back from that.
0: Yeah, the, the problem with objectivity... Is uh, multi fit. Uh, people have a gut reaction, I think, to objectivism or scientism. Scientivis- scientism? Yeah. Scientism. Yeah. Um, because I think maybe on one level they feel like they will be giving up the authenticity of their lives, that they will have to sacrifice their culture, sacrifice their belief system, sacrifice, and that belief system could be a religious tradition or a, or a, Religious ideal, like, like some, some form of progress that we're going towards. And, and yes, we're, we're going towards facts, but we need to mobilize people right now. We need to defeat the evil people right now or yeah. whatever it is. Um, so but there's, think... there's a lot of fear in, in letting go of that subjectivity and that subjectivity or the, the whole cr- uh, rush towards justifying subjectivity is, is preying on certain inherent, uh, human, uh, experiences that we we cannot distance ourselves from.
1: I don't think it's, I don't think it's inconsequential or, or or just a fluke that a lot of this sort of scientism has come along as religion sort of starts to fade in the Western world. I I think there's a yearning, um, you know, to know when I get up in the morning, what are the things I believe? What am I working towards? Um, And I think, a lot of people have. Ju- I, I had a period where I was at, at university, where I was very much a sort of Dawkins-style. I hate religion. Why would any be? Re- would anyone be religious? It's so it's so stupid. Like it has no value. And I think what that gave me at the time was a was a something to latch onto and something when I got up in the morning. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm bashing religious people today. Mm-hmm. Um, people like to have ha- have that um, that group and that that group identity to be in and know what they're working on that day. But I think uh, in, a, in a wider sense, you don't have to lose that subjectivity when you look at things in a very scientific way. So for example, the way I make judgments about particular topics on a case-by-case basis um, is that I think the science can optimize the metrics that are important for a particular topic, but they can't tell you the metrics that are important. So for example, let's take something like uh, veganism, say. So for veganism, the things that are important might be the pain of the animals, the environment, um, health concerns for people who eat too much meat. Those are the metrics. And I can tell you with science, you know, this much red meat is going to give you this much cholesterol. And this uh, this method of killing an animal put this much pain on the or this this trace on the on the on the scan or, or whatever it is, and I can quantify the metrics, but i can't tell you which metric is important that's a moral judgment that's a subjective judgment so a lot of people will run around and say look it's all about the animal welfare be a vegan because it's all about the animal welfare whereas other people will turn around and say no I, I argue it more from an environmental standpoint so i don't think when you look at these things from a from a highly scientific perspective i don't throw out that's subjectivism. i think every individual actually sets their their sort of moral tunings if you will and then within that the metrics are, are optimized but i can't tell you which which metric is most important um i decide the metrics i think are important and then i optimize within those metrics sort of hit excel solver on it but everyone's tunings will be different so yeah. i don't see them as fundamentally incompatible but i think in a lot of the discourse they are presented as being fundamentally incompatible
0: well what gets people to listen i'm speaking rhetorically is authority right somebody who speaks with authority somebody who can command the discourse somebody who has a vision of the world automatically it either re- uh, it presents people with something to either reject or deny like very yeah. easily so again it's not necessarily that I think it might be too simplistic to say that human beings are the mass of society doesn't want to be objective, doesn't want to be informed. I think that what uh, happens with the media, with social media, plus the media, is that our our lower instincts are the are the ones that are being capitalized on. They're the ones yep. that get through the gate most. And so yep. it seems like they're 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 leading the discourse in a way but i think that when you go a week back or or like three steps back then you start to have the really interesting discussions but
1: but it's interesting how that's actually a microcosm of how the human brain works right so you have you know Mm. imagine somebody cuts you up in your car you have that reptilian response i'm going to beat the hell out of this guy what is he doing like he's the most stupid person in the world and then somebody puts a hand on your shoulder or you calm down and you say what am I getting so upset about? Like, you know, I've cut up someone 15 times. Like, the guy didn't do it, you know, he didn't do it on purpose or he apologizes. And you you suddenly, that second wave of rational thought takes over. But obviously, from an evolutionary aspect, that reptilian response was very important for survival. And unfortunately, we haven't, and and maybe not unfortunately, because we we still need it in certain circumstances, but Mm. it's something we have to fight against and realize that, it's very easy to just stick with that initial emotional reptilian response, mm-hmm. um, and as you say, it takes a week, two weeks to go back to the thread and see that people are actually having that sensible discussion. Um, and and maybe maybe we're yeah. overplaying it. Maybe people are having those sensible discussions, and and maybe the problem is that you're trying to be so at the bleeding edge of what's happening in the news that you only see the ferroery and the fighting and the
0: yeah.
1: and the uh, and the emotion and you don't actually see as much of the sensible discussion as uh yeah it uh, actually goes on
0: yeah the uh, to get a little metaphorical it's like the 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 falling water makes the sound the the rushing water the rapids that's what's getting most of the attention um yeah. but th- that doesn't mean that that's what's going on underneath the surface. I mean, it's a it's a fraught metaphor because how do we get to a place where we do see the depth of the argument? You need to have like a slower. You need to go to where the the water's been, you know, kind of channeled in a different way. Which, by the time that the the story goes to this other place, there's always going to be another story. Uh, especially the last couple of years that I've been uh, working in the internet. I just noticed that, like, every week we have a new thing. Every week we have a new thing. Every yeah. week we have a new thing. And how how I position myself or how I've developed the perspective is to say, okay, I, I, I find the stimulus online. This is where all the attention's uh, congregating. And the first thing I do is to doubt. I doubt, like, yeah. wait, what what's really going on here? I, I'm sure that it's not what's going on. I'm sure what we're seeing right now is not what's really going on. And that's just by dint of being experienced and probably because I want to do more than just react. I'm aiming for something more than just the reaction. And the yeah. thing is, is that I, this is more human, uh, a social um, commentary than anything else. The thing is, is that we have these institutions in play that that are capitalizing on that and that that really scoop up that kind of, uh, that kind of attention and how do we, they're always going to be bigger. I think that they're always going to be bigger than the rational, uh, mind, the rational subset of
1: people. I I think, I think the problem comes, um, second order, perhaps on top of the media is, is whether the politics of the nation is impacted by that rushing water. Is it the rushing water that leads the politics or is it that sensible Hmm. discussion after the facts that leads the politics? Now it would seem, that on the more left-hand edge of the of, of politics at the moment, that there's a lot of you know the intersectional politics in America seems to rule the roost in in the left-hand party. And of course, there's emotional arguments made to the right. I'm not I'm not picking one particular side of the political spectrum. I'm just uh, the one that's most covered in the media at the moment. Um, um, and I think the problem is. When that rushing water starts to lead politics, because people have such a visceral emotional reaction to that rushing water and then politicians pick up on that and say, yes, you know, we need more diversity in our party. We need this intersectional coalition. This is what makes us strong. And this is going to be our policy and our platform going forwards. Then that rushing water actually starts to have real life consequences Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and that's where the problem comes. I mean, people screaming and carrying on and and doing whatever on Twitter. You know, yes, it's not nice if you get called a bigot or, or, or something, but, you know, get over it. But when it starts to impact on actual political discourse and you get things like we have in the UK, like hate speech laws, for example, because that rushing water is now making impacts mm. in politics. I think that's where the problem starts to come. When people don't step back and say, "Actually, what what is behind this, and what are the sensible discussions going on behind this?" They say, "Look, viscerally, we're going to deal with this. Your emotional response and your offence is very important to us, and we're gonna we're gonna do politics mm-hmm. on that basis." And then you get things like hate speech laws. You get things like uh, the Count Dankula, um yeah. fine and, and jailing, um, and, and this seems to be the way that we're going. Um, In Europe, where that offence actually does lead to politics being done. And I know there's concerns that we're going that similar way in America, but you you seem slightly more resistant to it potentially because of the constitution and the way that your government is set up and, and the sort of visceral idea of freedom that you guys have over there. But um, I think it's coming to you guys and I think you need to be ready that that rushing water is guiding politics Mm -hmm. um, on sides of the spectrum, but more so on the left at the moment. In my opinion, perhaps.
0: Well, in reaction to Trump, and Trump, Trump did a lot of that himself in order to I get elected.
1: I agree, agree, agree. that too. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's
0: a back again. It's the back and forth and back and forth yeah. of fighting fire with so, fire. Is do you think that there's a um, an objective uh, viewpoint on what hate speech is? Like, can we can we like objectify like or like no. break it down into like what is actually violent speech?
1: Yeah. Like, do, no. I, is it, I, I, Yes, I, I don't. I don't think you can do this. This, this is a huge bugbear of mine. I, <laughs> I, I challenge people to give me I, I, and maybe this is my poor understanding of the law, but I challenge them to give me another law where I don't know what side of the law I'm on before I act. So I know that if I murder someone, I'm going to go to jail. I know that before the fact, if I go out and, uh, and rape someone or attack someone, I know I'm wrong and I'm going to go to jail afterwards with hate speech. I can tell my friend, uh, you know, a borderline or racist joke one day and no harm, no foul. And then the next day I can hold a door open for someone and suddenly I'm in, you know, hate crime or or hate speech, you know, realm. I I don't I don't see how you can run a society on subjective standards of law. Mm. Now, I think I think laws have to be as objective as possible. Now, with hate speech, the, the one aspect that I am. Um, slightly sympathetic to is the idea that um, intent is important. So intent is enshrined in law as something that that that, that mm. um, has a value. So if I run you over in my car, but I didn't, you know, I didn't intend to do it; it was an accident. I'll get a lesser sentence than if I wrote a letter saying, "Ben Boyce, I am going to run you over at 4 p.m. You know, on this particular <laughs> road." I'll get a different sentence, and I and I think it's worth looking into the idea that a lot of crimes that happen uh, aren't necessarily crimes of uh, of passion they are intended crimes because the person went out to attack a gay person or a black person or, you know, any other particular group that they don't like. From from that aspect, is it interesting to look at intent? And we could go back through, you know, I don't know, their Facebook posts or whatever and, and see what they're doing. Looking at the intent is very interesting and, and potentially worthwhile. But I think having these subjective standards of hate speech is, is just a non-starter straight away because nobody can know what side of the law they're on at any time. And it, I think it gives the government too much power and authorities too much power to yeah. decide something they don't like is now a crime and and that's a very 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 slippery slope
0: yeah especially i mean if if you look into literary theory which is where a lot of weird things that are happening in the uh, intellectual and the even the political realm now originates yeah. from it's this yeah. uh this the postmodernism specifically and and hermeneutics yeah. and how do we how do we, you know, the death of the author and how do we interpret the meaning of things and what is the systemic meaning of all these different things and a lot of like Derrida, Foucault, etc. Yeah. Those people are, are working a lot, a lot around linguistics and language and symbiotics and hermeneutics and yeah. once we give the government uh, the ability to go into our brains and to see what intention is. Yeah. Um they it's all interpretation it's entirely interpretation and they cannot not misinterpret things they will have to end up projecting intention because there's and and furthermore they're going to project an intention on something that without even looking at the impact like so can we even like if we had an MRI machine connected to everybody on the internet and and looked at their brains when they receive internet bullying and then we can quantify exactly the, yeah. the state of a brain that gets subjected to hate speech. I'm sure it would be different for every single person that reads exactly, those exactly,
1: words. Exactly.
0: And then over time, they'll get like, well, oh, I didn't see that or I saw this or I thought it was funny and it wasn't like, you know. So we can't even, we can't even get an objective standard because no. it's all reaction. And the reaction is so fine-tuned that there's no the, way that the coarse law can, can trample.
1: The best, even the best you could get with that approach you know, hooking everyone up to an MRI machine and seeing how offended people get would be an average over the whole population. So it, hmm. it doesn't even pick up, you know, people on an individual basis. It, it, you know, you would have to, you're making an implicit assumption in that, that everyone acts like an automaton and has that same average level of, re- of, uh, of reaction to something that, that is set. So even if you did that system, you would still be making broad subjective assumptions about, about an individual case. Yeah. Um, i just i see it as a complete non-starter i mean with the intent stuff i'm saying literally if somebody wrote i'm gonna go out you know killing gay people tonight you know that that is is clear and it's written and it's an objective thing but as you say um if there's not if there's no evidence to prove that somebody went out and 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 they happen to have beaten up a black man instead of a white man Mm -hmm. i don't see where the government comes in projecting onto that person that this is a is a racial attack for example yeah i just i just don't think like you said it's thought crime once, once you give over thought crime that's it there is no objective standards of law anymore anything that somebody doesn't like um has the power to to just call that a crime and yeah and then i think i think it's over then i think i think you can do anything from there
0: well the thing is is that i think this is one of my pet theories is that we the reason that this stuff is even plausible now, that you have the hate speech laws being written into, you know, uh, being written into existence and being implemented in the case of Count Dankula or Donkula, um, is that more and more of our lives are spent in this subjective realm built out of language and sound and light called the internet. And more and more people are spending more and more time, and this is basically our reality. So we're yes. trying to take laws that were based in physical reality having to do with, like, harm, actual harm, and trying to upgrade them to rule over this other domain. And I think that that I I kind of understand, this is my theory, that I understand why these ideas have traction, because people do think that words are violence, because so much of their lives happen online. But we don't really understand that it's two fundamentally different realms. And so here's the problem with science. How do you how do you have an objective version of reality in the subjective realm of the internet in the subjective realm of speech and communication how do you implement law in that domain
1: well i think i think the standards still have to be objective right so if uh if i go on twitter the standard might be you are not allowed to say the n word or you're not allowed to call someone a Uh, a faggot or something like this. And these are objective standards, right? They have these words. You know, I I don't think banning words is a good way to go because I don't think it solves anything. But the standards that they put have to be objective, right? So they, even if, so so they could say.
0: By which you mean consistent.
1: Consistent, yes.
0: And identifiable.
1: Yes, exactly. So even if the way that they do it is subjective, they can say, well, the objective standard is that if someone at Twitter doesn't like your speech, they can ban it, right? At least that is an objective standard, but what the person does within it is entirely subjective. Hmm. But now I know when I go onto the platform that at any time I can just get struck down for for nothing, right? I know. I I went on and I knew what was going to happen. Within that, I think the the rules have to be as objective as possible. So they would have hmm. to put a list of words that you can't say. They would have to say you can't message someone three times without response, or that's a violation, or okay. or something like that. You can't get this many down votes, or that's a violation. I don't see how they. Hmm. It, it's very very difficult. I I think the only way to deal with this is uh, is 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 to set up other platforms and let people decide what platforms they they want to be on i i i don't think hmm. i don't think the way we're going at the moment it is is going to work i i don't think you can just start banning certain things on a particular platform
0: hmm. and
1: and everyone's just going to suck it up and say yeah this is for the greater good in the end i'm just going to accept it i think what we're starting to see already is other platforms popping up so with the patreon thing for example you have yeah. people shifting to to other services that aren't going to ban them outright. And I think what what eventually will happen is just through market forces and essentially the evolution of that market is we'll get to a place where there's basically an agreed standard where most people accept that I'm going to get some harassment or I'm going to get you know mm-hmm. some abuse. And if I don't like that, I'll just leave that platform and I'll go back to Twitter which is heavily policed for example and people will just choose which which reality they want to yeah. live in. okay so yeah. if i mm-hmm. if i want to live in a very secure hermetically sealed you know anyone who says anything mean to me and i report it's going to get banned i can go back to twitter if i don't want that i can go to a some hypothetical new site where anything goes yeah um, and then leave that when i then want to sleep at night
0: Yeah, I think that the the concept of uh, the Internet as an elective reality... I mean, it's a, it's, it's not a reality as objective, as objective reality. Um, it's, it's quicker though. So, so you, you leave some things behind. It's less real, but it's quicker. Um, it's, it's less, uh, I guess you don't need to eat inside of that. You know, you, you take care of all your biology outside and inside yeah. you get to play the games and like pretend to be whoever you want. You can change your gender. You can change like your identity. You can be a dragon, you know, you can be an 84 year old, you know, <laughs> like, like self ID You can an year old dragon. Yeah, exactly. Well, 8400 eight, eight, 8, year old dragon, maybe. But like the, the whole, even even like with regards to, and I don't mean to denigrate um, the trans experience, but like the the conception of self identification, especially as it is now written into Great Britain law or, or uh, yeah. the Gender Recognition Act. Again, I think that people are conditioned beforehand before this idea became. Implementable people had to be uh, amenable to it, and that came through the way that we project ourselves online. It's, but it, but we still have to say that it's an elective uh, reality. It's something I enter into. It's something that that's uh, that's composed of projections. I'm projecting myself. You're projecting you, and those things are completely. They're of a different order of uh, of phen- phenomenal reality than something in in meat space right
1: i think but i think you're right people yeah. have
0: a hard time like uh, i think i think what's happening is that we're trying to implement in the real world things that work online um yeah. or trying to yeah and and, and vice versa
1: I, I think it's a really interesting hypothesis and i had not thought about it that way i think one of the worrying things um in europe and in the uk is that we're starting to pass a lot of laws ostensibly for moral reasons and i have I have uh, no reason to doubt the good intentions of these people, but things like hate speech, for example, mm-hmm. that are designed to protect small groups, but which don't have popular support. So I'd always sort of thought that laws sort of reflected the majority morality and the, and the sort of prevailing societal mm-hmm. feeling towards certain behaviours or, or certain actions. And that's always thought that, laws came along to codify those changes in societal opinions whereas i think at the moment with things like hate speech they're actually preceding those changes in societal um Mm. attitudes so they come along and say hate speech is now a thing and we're going to punish you if you step outside the bounds And and i've heard a lot of people particularly on the left say look in 20 years people will just realize that you're not allowed to say these things and it will become normal societal opinion that you don't say these things and I I'm, I'm like but that's back mm. to front the law codifies the societal change it's not you put the law in place cram down on people and then society accepts it after a while that's completely mm. back to front and I think that's the problem i see with things like hate speech they don't have this popular support but they're being pushed with a sort of as a sort of moral crusade with with good intentions but i think once you start doing that the question is, where do you stop when you have well, a small number of people deciding that this is this is right and this is true and this is virtuous and everyone should um, align with this moral standard? Then that's a very again, a very slippery slope that you start to go now
0: in, in a certain respect, um, hyper oh, ultra progressivism turns into hyper conservatism. It seems like what you just described is. Like if you look at the foundation of law, like historically speaking, it was a king with power implementing order. Yeah. yeah. And then and then over, you know, millennia we reverse that and say, No, it's the yeah. people yeah. that are being represented by the by the government. And now yeah. it's a reversion back to there's a there's a moral authority that then projects and and sculpts society according yeah. to its ideal um which I, it Agreed. might work and stuff but if it's not elective if if it if it's by fiat that everybody has to now go along with you like that's not what we signed up for now it's it's a regression it's a it's a going backwards, like without getting other everybody's input on the matter.
1: You're right, and I, and I I actually linking back to to sort of uh, my field in the science, um, I see this a lot, and and I think, so, so for example, with with Brexit and with Trump, we see this where people more um, towards the left of the spectrum will say. Uh, everyone on the right is stupid. Donald Trump is stupid. How could they have voted for Donald Trump? What, bunch of idiots. And then the right will say anyone on the left is stupid. Yeah. Um, how, you know, how could you vote that way? Donald Trump is, you know, the God Emperor. And, uh, and we just get into this into this complete mess mm-hmm. where. We have authority figures on both sides, so. Donald Trump is the authority figure on the right, for example, and then left, we have these sort of progressive activists who are the authority figures on on the left. Now, what I see in science Hmm. is that the biggest names in science have become more moralizing as time has gone by. So I see people like like Bill Nye, for example you know pandering very much to this sort of progressive sexual attitude you know he he kind of destroyed his career with that that particular video on on sexuality um i see brian cox coming out with a lot of things on brexit i see neil degrasse tyson you know hitting out at conservatives for example um Hmm. and and i think the problem is people do yearn for that authority figure and people understand that science is a very good way of finding objective truths It's a very good way of weeding out things that are right from things that are wrong. But I think scientists have taken on that mantle of authority figures too much at this point, too much at this point. And, and, and it leads them to make moral pronouncements about things. Hmm. Um, so I think it has gone a bit too far in science. And I think you're right. We have reverted to this idea that actually, what we need is some sort of technocracy. You know, that the smartest people m- need to sort it out for us. Because look, this populism has brought us Trump and it's brought us Brexit, and that's all mm. a mess. And the intelligentsia don't agree with that. Um, so I think I think that scientism and that yearning for authority, as you say, has reversed. We sort of went from that that philosopher king to the people deciding, and then now we're going back to mm. to having a sort of technocratic society or at least some yearning for that for that sort of technocracy
0: well do you think that it's possible i guess i already asked this but do you think it's possible to sculpt public opinion so that the extremes those who are yearning for authority those who are screaming the most i saw one tweet about that the the trump or the trump kid and the the native american drummer guy um this one tweet by this checkmarked person like this person in you know the privileged position in in the twitterverse saying yeah. i grew up with a smirk like the, with being confronted by a smirk like that and you don't understand how hateful that is that smirk on that young man's face and this is this is a toxic thing and this woman was having this this breakdown over this totally neutral face yeah. that this kid had and of course a lot of people found that and found it completely laughable and went in and and mocked her about that rightly so i mean i mocked her too but what i tried to try to do to pivot it is that like she saw Whatever she wanted to see, and it wasn't yeah. just her being fragile. It wasn't just her whimpering and calling that bravery. Um, it was her appealing to a source of power and a, a source of attention. She was she yeah. was trying to appeal to everybody who reacted negatively to that because the the red hat with the white letters means hate. It's the new Ku Klux Klan thing. So it, it's it's more complex than her just being fragile. It's like this whole game of interlocking plays and is there a way to call bullshit that doesn't in itself uh, end up flinging shit at things
1: I I think it comes back to the I think it comes back to the subjective and objective thing I I think if something is entirely subjective I I, I think we Mm. need to downgrade its importance because you just you can't prove it Um, and, and I think the problem is it's become in our politics so upgraded that it's your truth it's your reality it's how you feel about something it's your personal offense which is important that until we row back from that and and, and just allow people to to, to to call bullshit as you say on things we, you know we keep telling people oh how you feel about things is more important than the objective truth i don't i don't think we're going to be able to row back from that um i think we need to start letting people just say maybe that's what you think about it and yeah but i don't really care what you think about it i care about the facts of the case the problem is it's as i say it seems to have become more mainstream on the left of politics in the uk and in america to say that look this identity and your feeling about how your identity group is treated is central to the politics that we're trying to do and you know, that's one way of po- doing politics. I don't think it's a good way of doing politics.
0: Why not? Why is that not a good way of doing politics?
1: It's not a good way of doing politics because it doesn't take into the into account the nuance of the individual. So we go back to this hmm. setting hmm. the moral tunings are set on an individual level. You know, all black people don't value the same things. They don't act in the same way. They don't have the same IQs. They don't want to achieve the same things. They're, they're not this monolithic block of people. And neither are white people. So the reason I don't like it is because I think it it, it hides a lot of nuance and it allows a lot of sort of 1D analysis and, and very simplistic analysis to be done. So from my point of view as a scientist, I don't like doing that kind of reductionism. Um I think it I think it's too simplistic. I want to see more variables, I want to see more nuance. Um but I can see understand why it's attractive, and I think this is why a lot of scientists lean towards the left of the spectrum, or at least more high profile ones do because I think they like the idea that society is a soluble problem and Mm -hmm. in order for society to be a soluble problem you have to take quite a reductionist approach you have to assume that people operate in quite similar ways to the way that you do in your echo chamber so I see similar arguments for example for socialism so socialism is a good idea because we will optimise one particular metric over a population whether that's happiness or wealth or whatever it might be and that's a tractable problem. We can make everyone the same in terms of wealth. That's a nice, clean, neat solution. But it's not necessarily the solution that each individual wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't like this kind of reductionism, but I can see why it's attractive to people in science um, because it makes a nice, clean solution yeah. Yeah. of society based on particular metrics. Um, and I think that's very appealing to scientists, but not a good way to do politics in my particular opinion but the the
0: problem with nuance, or because that that word is now a bad word, um, it's it's a triggering word. it's a it's a dog whistle now. But the problem with complexity, yeah, is that it's weak. Simplicity is strong. Simplicity Agreed. it gets the point across it 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 unifies people people can't agree um, yeah. The thing is like especially with intersectionality it takes such a simplistic approach and yeah. that that Misunderstands what complexity is and is inherently unstable too because now if everybody's offense matters then whoever can be seen as most legitimately offended gets to be the pow- most powerful, so it's burying authority under all these games of yep. like, how do I position myself, and and how do I make out that I'm standing for a group that is more uh, disadvantaged than you, um, and and really. <sighs>
1: Really, it's the oppression Olympics
0: oppression Olympics, oppression Olympics, but all you're getting is the medal the medal gives you the power to maybe make one or two declarations before you're taken over by the next person like it doesn't have a central goal to it. It seems like it has a goal of justice and equality or equity is now the word that they use, but that equalization um, doesn't actually produce anything other than a momentary feeling of goodness like yeah. and i wonder if if there's a way to position a, a goal that can take into account complexity and still unify people in the pursuit of x or y well, on a social well level.
1: So, so so here's a hot take on in- intersectionality and how you could do that then i actually don't have a problem with intersectionality what i have a problem is that it stops at a certain group of variables so a per- if you go if if you go sex gender sexuality and stop I have a problem with you. If you go sex, sexuality, gender, the fact that the guy grew up in the north of England, the fact that he had a a bad home life, the fact that he likes Taylor Swift, the fact that he went out with these three women, the fact that his mother was an alcoholic, the fact that his dad ran away when he was 10, and you keep going infinitely, then suddenly all the intersections become treating someone as an individual. So I have no problem with intersectionality. I have a problem that you stop doing your intersectionality at a certain yeah subjective cutoff for some reason yeah Yeah. just keep going just keep going and then you'll get to exactly the same position where i am yeah Um, it's reducing
0: everybody to a young adult novel yes when when you're saying that no let's go into like a real novel for adults because that's that's closer to reality but everybody's just like this little cartoon character like trying to sleep with harry potter you know exactly
1: exactly so that's my hot take on intersectionality is just keep going and and you get and you get to the quote-unquote right answer you don't need your subjective cutoff. Just keep, just keep going. Like, um, and I think, I think that's how you, how you get over that. But you're, but you're right. The problem at the moment is um, the only authority within groups is defined by um, presumably how powerful or, or how oppressed that group is. Yeah. But if one group rises up, then they're now de facto the more powerful group, and the other group below is now the oppressed group. So you get this oscillation and. As you said, it's completely unstable because whoever yeah. is, at, is at the top is, by definition, uh, has got there by oppressing the other groups. So it can never reach a, a settled final end state. It's always mm-hmm. going to be uh complete class and race and sexuality conflict between these groups with no end in sight.
0: Yeah, no so, end uh, in sight. I think that the same analysis could probably be put upon, well, modified, but put upon the far right Whereas the far left is a sh- enshrining weakness, weakness is the the metric of authority. Yes. Um, the far right says strength is the metric of authority. Um, whereas I think that that the true metric of authority should be e- efficacy and uh, and uh, I guess complexity and knowledge. Um, so yeah. I I do I don't know like you you mentioned like a, a tech, technocracy or or some sort of elitist kind of way of organizing society. I do want people in I don't think that it's wrong that we have elites. You know, I just think that the elites need to be humble and understand that they're they're there simply to serve everybody else, but the people who are in positions of authority need to have a certain sort of elite um or or you know, highly prized view of the world. Like uh I don't know, and there's just a bunch of different like qualities that I could put on that. Intelligence I, I,
1: being one of them. I actually think um, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, my, my politics—I'm very sort of central. Try and deal with things on a case-by-case basis, but probably do lean slightly right because I lean towards personal freedoms. Um, so if I bash on the left a little bit more than I do in the right, that's probably my own—that's pers- probably my own personal bias. But I have no real problem with moderate uh, left people. Um, but I think the left and the right are, really are. Flip sides of, of the same of, of the same politics. So, on the right, we will hear things said like, you know, you need to drag yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, you know, nobody owes you anything. You you earn everything that that you know that is right is rightfully yours. Nobody's going to put a hand on your shoulder. Yeah. We'll help you out if you if you put the work in. This kind of thing. Everything that comes to you is is, is by your own effort. But then on the other side. So, so so you're you're taught to be competitive on the right and, and you know yearn towards uh towards mm. accomplishment but then on the left you're also taught a similar thing in a different way so you're taught to be envious of that accomplishment so you're still being competitive you're still but you're competing as you said in a different metric this this oppression or this how downtrodden am i how much do i deserve how much has the system um underrepresented or mistreated me mm. so it, It's sort of flip sides and and a mirror image, but with a different metric applied. So Mm. I don't think they're actually too different from one another. And, you know, a strong right of politics needs a strong left of politics. Um,
0: I think that the left, I just want to I want to push against that. I think that the there's there's the far left. But I think that there's a there's a very strong position on the left that that people do need help. And we need to make a a concerted effort to lift everybody in society up. Because when everybody's doing well, then everybody else is doing even better. And the way in which they go about that ends up clashing with the values of the individualism on yeah. the right because you're like well everybody has to chip in now we're all we're all yeah. supposed to chip in and the right would l- be like well I want to give charity but I want to do it of my own volition yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so I think that there is a give and take I don't think that le- the left necessarily I think it's susceptible to going into envy but I think it starts off from a position of compassion
1: oh I completely agree yeah I, I have uh, I I think this is a really um, upsetting and, and worrying thing in modern politics is that people immediately dis- uh, ascribe bad motivations to people on the other side of politics, and and I don't see that at all. When I when I look at uh, even even far leftist people, you know, uh, attacking a politician in a in a restaurant, I think you're well meaning. You mean to do good things. You want mm. this guy out because you think he's doing horrible things. I don't think you're an evil, nasty, bad person. I just think the way that you're going about these things is wrong. You know, when, when I look at people on the right, I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see these things that people from the left will say, oh, you're evil. You don't care about people. What I see is a different way of thinking about the world, that if people are allowed to be rich and accumulate wealth, they'll start jobs and, you know, they'll give wealth to people below them. And, you know, this, this idea of the, the wealth will filter down and blah, 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 blah. I, I don't see evil motivations on either side. I just see different ways. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and different uh w- different methodologies towards having that compassionate society because you can't redistribute in such a hard way that it destroys the incentives to make wealth in in the first place so mm-hmm. as you say there's a there's a give and take between these these things um and I think it is fair. So, for example, in this country, I accept that I have to pay some taxes towards the National Health Service, for example. I think the National Health Service needs a lot of reform. I think it can be done in a much better way. But I'm actually not too stressed that when my taxes come that I'm paying something towards helping other people. As you say, I'd rather do it through private charity, but I accept the idea that I need to chip in and help other people who, you know, have diseases through no fault of their own, for example, Mm -hmm. or or Mm -hmm. who don't currently have a job. Um, So I, I think it's very reasonable to give people a minimum baseline level in society particularly Mm -hmm. because that allows them to um cotton on to an equality of opportunities you know so if you don't have your health you're not going to be able to go to university and uh, and climb the ladder yeah if you if you don't have a house you're not going to be able to you know move to a particular area and and learn particular skills for example so i think that's right i i think everyone deserves a certain base level i think the problem is that inequality has become conflated with that base level there's a difference between the minimum level that people have and then the gap between yeah. what top people in society have and i think there's been a, an unfortunate conflation of that in politics mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. equality has become synonymous with 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 poverty and and inequality has become synonymous with bad which isn't necessarily the case because inequality is the price that you pay for, uh dragging those people up at the bottom at the bottom end in many cases
0: yeah do you see that there's um what's the tro- what's the problem with science right now I think what's it problem- facing that, that that it's most worrisome from your perspective so
1: there's a there's, there's a there's a few things that I've seen um one thing is that move to subjectivism so 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 hmm. this this kind of all-out assault on objectivism so this idea that evidence and reason are are great and and we will do studies that try and back up our points of view but then when those studies come back with the wrong answers well it doesn't really matter it's just how people feel about it and there seems to be an acceptance that science is incredibly important but then if the science doesn't back up your opinion then we'll just fall into subjectivism so so that's that's one problem that i see um i also think um there's a huge problem with politics creeping into science so
0: has it ever not been in science though
1: i think i think i think it probably always has been but i think it's becoming more i think it's becoming more and more so Hmm. uh, one thing that i saw that really upset me over the last um, couple of months was was this brown trans- transgender study for example that was buried or taken off the website because it was seen to be too offensive and it was seen to be um not pc for example um so this was a transgender study that that said that potentially raised levels of transgenderism uh, transgenderism when i can speak in teenagers is potentially some sort of um Social phenomenon, so yeah. your friends say that they're transgender and and now the the levels skyrocket because it's an interesting thing and it gets you attention and And there were some suggestions in this study that that might be part of the equation and And then Brown went and quashed this study because it was deemed to not be not be PC. Mm-hmm. So again, that's a an assault, an assault on objectivism. So this study has shown something. We can argue about that study whether it's right or wrong. But we shouldn't be covering up certain aspects of science because they're not on vogue with the with with the sort of societal leaning and and the political leaning another one was this i don't know if you saw this uh this uh Mm -hmm. alistandro strumier um affair at cern so he was a professor who went to a gender workshop and essentially didn't toe the line and he and he said i have evidence from bibliometric data that Women are cited more than men, and this is potentially some evidence towards the fact that science is actually biased against against men rather than women. And he got, as you can imagine, <laughs> he got absolutely flayed. He he got suspended from from CERN. There, there there was there were there were other charges. I think he was a bit of a bit of a dick in the way he presented it. Um, but these denials of certain um, aspects of the conversation. This idea that certain aspects of the conversation, certain metrics, have to be covered up to protect certain political leanings, I think, is a really um, dangerous thing in science at the moment. That mm-hmm. that the the openness of science doesn't doesn't prevail. That we actually have to quash certain modes of of study is is do a big problem. S-
0: do you see um, some sort of coalition of people refusing to tow this? Uh, authoritarian, um, don't speak science that interrupts our agenda. Do you see that people will migrate to another form of, uh, I guess it would be funding, because what science needs is money, right? So, And then the people who want to direct science have always, like, you figure out how to either influence the financiers or the financiers yep. uh, see well. We want you to focus on plastics. Just forget about all yeah. this other yeah, like, yeah. The, the environmental stuff. No plastics. We need better plastics and stuff like that. So it's usually the money that dictates where where the science goes, right? So yep. how will how will science fare, or will will it will we enter into a dark ages where? There'll just be people scribbling these little uh, <laughs> illicit sciences in between each other
1: I, I, I think there is a pushback I mean I mean this is like with anything it's like you said the waves go wave goes back wave goes forth I think mm. my hope is that we're reaching the sort of zenith of this of, of this sort of PC craze I, you know I see a lot of people online complaining about this people people like yourself I think we've had these high profile people now like jordan peterson for example over the last couple of years has come out and pushed against this uh brett weinstein these these kind of people this intellectual dark web that's come out that that is pushing back against this and my hope is that we've reached the peak of this and that now it's going to start to go down you know hmm. fingers fingers crossed um but as you say if the people who are in charge of the purse things keep wanting to push this kind of politics it could be that certain things are off the table. I mean, the, 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 I guess the the gold star example that people cite for this is climate change, right? Is mm. people claim that all of the all of the money for climate change goes into reaffirming the idea that climate change is is this horrendous thing that that there's no way of raying back from. Now, you know, I'm very accepting of the science, and I think we need to do things about climate change. But it seems particularly online. That even suggesting let's have a nuanced discussion of this. Is it worth destroying the entire, you know, economy of the United States to deal with climate change? Is it, or, or can we take a more nuanced approach? Is is mm. not accepted by certain groups within science. You're mm. called a climate denier if you even want to have any sort of discussion of the nuance mm. of of how we should politically deal with these with these issues. Um, so, as I say, my hope is that this has reached a crescendo and will start to go down, but. That's a a fingers crossed position
0: with regards to climate change, do you think that that there are answers that we just haven't come up with yet i could you give a rundown like how how scared should I be how fearful should i be <laughs> how how many how should I cut people out of my life who don't agree with you like how how strong is the science on this
1: so my uh, this is actually something that isn't within my my uh, area of expertise and something I want to actually look at in the in the next couple of weeks and do a video on as to what the actual evidence out there is I think because of the potential devastating impacts of this it's become the thing in the public consciousness mm-hmm. um, but it, it I, I I think it would be wrong of me to say that I can I can give you a good answer to that before I before I do the research okay all
0: right That's fair. That's truly scientific. I'm uh,
1: trying to, yeah, I'm trying to to keep up the the ethics of my uh, of my trade. Well,
0: what what is what is your specific area of expertise then?
1: So my specific area of expertise, I am a high energy particle physicist. So I worked at the Large Hadron Collider uh, and CERN, and I worked on antimatter. So trying to understand the very early. the very early conditions of the universe and essentially how, how matter and structures came to form after that. Um, so kind of why are we here kind of stuff, not to go yeah. to sort of the physical and, and religious, but the, the physical underpinnings of why we're even here
0: in your conception. Um, it are the, I, I don't know if we could go into this, but this is kind of interesting to me um, The something happened, right? And we just call it a big bang. Something happened, but at some point, it collapsed into order, into what we conceive of as physical reality. Was that? Is there any other way that it could have collapsed into order? Or is this the most obvious way? Is there any way to even say whether or not this is the best of all possible physical uh, well, patterns?
1: Not to go even, not to go even sort of deeper back the other way. But w- what is order? I mean, we—it's we, a label that we put on things, right? I always, I always think, why why do we ascribe hmm. that 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 that's order and, and and something else isn't you know it's a difficult it's a difficult if it's a difficult question to to answer because that's a label that we put on things just like hmm. plus and minus are labels that we that we put on things um in answer to your question is there other ways that things have gotten well people always throw this argument that the way that the universe is set up needed all of these constants to be tweaked to the to the most amazing level of precision, uh, of precision that it couldn't have happened in, in, in any other way. Now, when I see a situation like that, my natural reaction is not to think that it was created. It's to think that there's not a continuous probability spectrum of how this thing could have happened. It could have only happened in this way. So it's, it's not ordered. It's not it's not been designed it just couldn't have happened in any other way is, is my leaning on that um, just from a statistical and a sort of mathematical perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously people use that as a justification to say, obviously God. Oh, well, Um, yeah,
0: I'm not, I'm not asking about, I'm not necessarily broaching the intention behind the manifestation of what we call physical reality. But um, have you seen in looking at and studying that level of existence that there there are like uh i guess there's emergent properties that we could call order and by order i mean something that can persist in time in order to build something even on on a higher level and higher level and higher level it
1: is what what is a very interesting um part of high energy physics is for example that all electrons are the same so one electron is the same as another electron. Is the same as another electron. There's not a green electron or a slightly dented electron hmm. or a slightly or a slightly bigger electron or a slightly lighter electron. There's a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Economical number of particles. And within each type of particle, they're all, they're all exactly machine-stamped uh, copies hmm. of one another. So the the universe is actually remarkably economical in its number of building blocks and how they're put together which you could argue is a is is an expression of order i mean i, I would say that that was an expression of order um, obviously that's a human label again but yeah, but it's very consistent that is highly consistent in the way that the universe is put together. So and, and this is the exact goal of particle physics, right? To to say that I can break everything down into these tiniest building blocks and this set of instructions for putting them together. Mm-hmm. And then from there I can expand to any structure or or any phenomenon. That is exactly the 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 goal of particle physics and, and without that order, I guess if we want to put that label on it, we wouldn't even be able to to broach the subject.
0: Mm-hmm but and so have you studied how let's just say the electron came into existence like do you have we understood i mean we as in humanity but it's you guys up in your uh particle realm <laughs> um have you is that what you were studying like how like this emergent property of of the atomic field came out of that first um very early stage of massive
1: no, no actually so what i was studying is um at the very early start uh, start of the universe, there must have been equal um, numbers of particles and antiparticles. So, for, mm. for getting into the physics for charge conservation, so there must have been equal amounts of plus and minus. So, for example, a an electron is minus, and an anti-electron is plus, and there must have been equal numbers of these to huh. to conserve charge. But nowadays, what we see in the universe is that all electrons are negative, and there's no positive electrons now why is that the case why did the universe start with an equal number but nowadays we only see a particular strain of of hmm. uh, of electrons why don't we see the the positive versions? so the universe would seem to be uh anti would seem to be not symmetrical with respect to a stamp that human beings put on things plus or minus and my work was trying to hmm. understand why that was the case now we didn't actually discover why but we did you uh, have to
0: model uh remodel the question then was the why not the correct why like like was symmetry something that you were projecting onto the universe that didn't necessarily
1: well so 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 there's the there's this the thing i was studying is called cp violation so the idea is that there is uh that the universe doesn't treat electrons and anti-electrons the same and we were trying to find particular instances where particles decayed slightly quicker if they were positive than they would if they were negative and uh unfortunately i didn't manage to find a particular source of this uh of this violation um and the the hypothesis is that once we find all these sources of, of 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 these differences then we can explain why the universe chose to go one way but okay. unfortunately I, I wasn't one of the uh anointed few who managed to find anything in my yeah. in my particular study What's which the is most actually, interesting? It's actually really useful for phd it's uh, it's better not to find anything too exciting because if you do the uh everyone descends on you to check your work whereas oh. if you can just sort of stay under the radar in phd and then find something interesting when you're a postdoc that's the uh that's the sensible way to go
0: what's the most interesting thing going on or the the problem with popular science is that we hear like this awesome thing and then you never hear of it again you're like well did it really happen or not or the scientists think that you know so what's the most uh fascinating thing that's going on right now the bleeding edge of of this domain.
1: What's the most fascinating thing that's going on at the moment? Well, there was a there was a story um, this week, um, and that I'm obviously going to lean towards particle physics because that's my my domain. But there's a, an even larger collider in the offing. So we had the hmm. Large Hadron Collider, which is this 27 kilometer long tunnel under the Franco-Swiss border and uh, And this week it came out that we're going to have one that's uh, another order of magnitude larger. So the idea that we're planning towards this next uh level of colliders is a very is a very interesting um development this week. The other really interesting thing that in the sort of um last few weeks was the was the Martian rover. The landing of the uh i forget the name of the of the of the most recent rover that that went up but they obviously the martian rover on the surface of mars hmm. and the fact that this is i believe um one of the first ones that is is run by um completely auto- is an is a completely autonomous vehicle okay. so it's okay. it's, a, it's a vehicle that learns about its environment and can go and do the science itself um i i could be wrong on this i would have to check this um but it's not it's not run by gear stick from the ground. Mm-hmm. This is something that we've sent to another planet, which can learn about its environment and then do science, which I find is a really amazing uh, hmm. amazing uh, advancement. What,
0: why is it so important that these colliders get bigger? Does it give it more time to reach a higher speed or the
1: particles? So... so This is a really, this is a really good question. So the problem is that when particles go around corners, um, they have an acceleration and that acceleration leads them to radiate energy away. So the smaller your circle, the stronger that turn around a corner, the more radiation happens and the more energy you lose. So the higher the energy that you want to go to the, uh, the less of a the less of a gradient of turn you want, and therefore the bigger of a circle that you want. So uh, bigger circles mean higher energy. So if you want to go to higher energy... Why not just shoot
0: it in a straight line?
1: You can shoot it in a straight line, but you don't have time to build up the energy. So what happens at the LHC is each time it goes around the circle, it gets another kick. So you, you're giving yourself more time and more distance to build up that energy. Very difficult in a, in, in a straight-line experiment to get all of that energy onto the particles in the time they they come together once. And then
0: I've only – it's been a while since I looked at it, but they smash these things and then they look at the pattern?
1: Yes. So basically? so what they do is uh, at the LHC is they smash these protons together and uh, in sort of layman's terms, they they break apart. And the energy is transferred into creating other types of particles. So, you know, there's E equals mc squared. The energy of that collision can be transferred into creating different particles. So if we want to look at this antimatter, for example, or we want to look at the Higgs boson, all of this energy being put into those collisions can produce these particles for a short amount of time before they mm-hmm. decay away and we can study them. So that energy goes in and creates the mass of these particles. And then we can study them. Uh, if we're quick enough in our detectors, hmm.
0: Is there going to be any, uh, like, like outcome, outcome of all this science? Do, do they see like, we're going to make a new energy drink, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is always a, this is always a really good question. And it's actually one of the reasons why I got into doing more scientific outreach, because I think, yeah people have a right to understand where the vast amounts of money that they put into a project like the LHC is going so i think we send 100 million from the uk to the lhc every year now in in terms of the entire budget of the country that that's not very much but it does mean that we owe the taxpayer you know a report back of where where is your money gone because that could have bought you know a couple of dialysis machines or, or, yeah. or a ton of dialysis machines or, or done something different um the interesting outcomes so vast improvements in computing and particularly distributed computing technology so mm-hmm. you've got a hell of a lot of data coming out of the lhc which needs to be analyzed and the way that we do that is tend to fragment it up send it all around the globe uh, jobs are done on that data and then it comes back and is repackaged so huge advances in in communications and, and fragmented computing another really good outcome from having such um, fine-tuned control over proton collisions is um, proton therapy for um, for cancers hmm. so proton therapy is very good um, at being able to target very small areas and the the level of control that we can have at CERN for targeting very small areas and making these things collide. So, if you have a cancer um, of the neck or you have a cancer of the brain, using traditional um, radiotherapy techniques, usually you can't treat those tumours because you do so much damage to the surrounding tissues mm. in the brain or or in the neck that it, that it's just too dangerous to 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 use those approaches. But protons tend to stop exactly where you want them to stop. Really? So, yeah. So they're they're very good, uh, uh, and they don't deposit energy in the surrounding tissues. So they're very good at treating cancers of the of the neck and and the brain. So and by treating st- you mean killing, like eradicating. I mean I mean killing. Yeah, I mean I mean I mean firing literally firing protons into someone's head, and destroying only the cancerous <laughs> tissue, and and not destroying, the rest of their brain. Wow. So there's a real ton of these spin-off technologies which just come by putting a lot of smart people in a mm. situation and them having to solve a really complicated engineering problem it, you know in the LHC and all these spin-offs come out but it you're right it, it, it is worthwhile to feed these concrete benefits back to the public because they're spending a lot of money on this and they need yeah. to understand why why science is important and what the progress is for their everyday lives. It's fine for me to go, Oh, Higgs boson. That's really interesting. Like fantastic. We found more about the universe, but what's the benefit to, to Joe blogs who, you yeah. know, is working in a cafe. Well, the benefit is Joe, that if you get a cancer in your neck, then maybe we'll be able to treat you. And that's hopefully something that you feel is worthwhile when you pay a small amount of tax towards these, these projects.
0: Do you think that they they can come up with like a, a quark coin kind of like a bitcoin but like based off of like uh very <laughs> minute oscillations in the higgs boson or something like I hadn't,
1: that I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that but uh that would be even more volatile than, 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 than Bitcoin <laughs> is now. that's a very intriguing
0: it pops in and out of existence like <laughs> nobody's business. well very
1: very much like the profits from bitcoin at the moment seemingly so uh might, huh. might not be uh, so far off
0: what what, what are your uh What are your projections this year for for what you're doing, like with science outreach? What are the things that you're working on right now?
1: So the thing I'm working on is uh, so I have a I have my own science show, which I take into schools and adult venues. um, And it's based on teaching people the scientific method um, as it purports to finding the Higgs boson. So instead of going into these places and teaching them the Higgs boson is important and here's the science behind it. I actually get them to rediscover it for themselves. So Mm. we have, we have apps where they collect the data. Um, We have them doing physical games to make hypotheses in the first place. And then they Mm. analyze the data themselves in a sort of really fun and and highly energetic way. So uh, it's kind of stealth learning, if you will, trying to teach more people, the scientific method in a, in a, in a fun way. Mm. Um, the other strand is is the YouTube stuff um, and basically trying to do a, a similar thing to to yourself where um, we look at complex issues um, from both sides of the coin. We try and get the objective facts on issues. We sit people down from diverse um, opinions and try and see if there's any common ground that we can move forward with, particularly mm. in terms of policy and how we live together in the world. So mm-hmm. those are my kind of two strands at, um, at the moment and uh yeah just just trying to get those off the ground and and out to as many people as i can this year
0: is the is the scientific method at all translatable into discourse or is there things that we can learn about how science purports to quantify what is true and false into two people with different outlooks communicating
1: with one another i i think i think it goes back to the the sort of way that i deal with with, with moral judgments and, and and discourse when i talk to someone i accept that they might have a different moral tuning they might think different metrics are important but then within those metrics we can discuss so so for example if i'm having a discussion uh, let, let's couch it in in religion versus versus science if i'm mm. having a discussion with someone and they say god exists and I say, well, where's the evidence? And they say, well, I don't need evidence. God just exists. We're we're talking with a different framework. We're mm-hmm. not we're not having there's no there's no point to those discussions because we have a different framework for working out how things are true and false. So
0: yeah.
1: we don't need to be mean to one another. We don't need to be at each other's throats. But I don't see any point to continuing that conversation because it, it, it doesn't go anywhere now when i sit down and talk to someone else who has a different political leaning but wants to talk science well i tend to try and keep things on the metric so using mm. that example of veganism again let's talk about animal welfare how can we quantify that how can we how can we measure that uh if you want to talk about the environment what are the impacts of farming you know how could we mitigate those but then if you want to say that animal welfare is the only metric that's important to you then I, I can't go there with you. I think the environmental aspects are important. I think the freedom aspects are important. So mm-hmm. it comes back to what I was saying. I still think you can have a, a robust and a sensible scientific conversation with someone, even if their moral tunings on how important those metrics are, are completely anathema to you. I think there's, there's, there's two parts of the equation. There's the moral part, the moral multiplier, and then the metric itself and i think discussing the metrics themselves scientifically is still a very worthwhile thing to do even Mm -hmm. if you disagree on the way forward afterwards Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting that what we started out talking about it i was trying to think is there any sort like with with that meeting on the the steps of the lincoln memorial and like there's young kids and they're shouting and then there's this other group that's shouting and then there's the you know the the native american guy comes in there and he's uh beating a drum and everybody has a different significance to that because nothing actually happened yeah it it was just like the it was just a, a convergence of different people i mean like what are we actually talking about and so it's almost like it's it's a perfectly non story. It's, it? it's totally man and, and and it's not even manufactured by these big corporations. Everybody's manufacturing this yeah. uh this engagement with this thing and I just I wonder if if there's not if if that's how to frame it in a way that that it makes more sense to talk about like as like nothing actually happened in there everything's happening around here and and so what is actually happening what is this showing us about ourselves and and where we're at right now
1: I I think I think people need to realize and it comes back to to, to teaching people about in my opinion critical thinking and, and the scientific method when people go to Uh, you know, a a particularly politically charged event like the one that we're talking about. And they see a guy smirking in the crowd and they immediately think he's a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. Is that really what's happening? Or is there potentially something in my brain, which is making me think that having that split second of, of, of accepting that I might not be right. Maybe you are right. I fully accept you might be right. This this kid might turn out to be, you know, a Ku Klux Klan goose stepping at home, you know, bulk on racist like he might, you know, he might be the worst. But before we get to that point, can we not just stop and actually do that investigative journalism and realize that there are passions that we're feeding with our reptilian brain that aren't necessarily accurate in that first instance? I I, th- I think. People need to be aware, and it's very, very difficult, as you say, but people need to be aware that their first reaction doesn't always or even usually define what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to service our confirmation bias and our own internal leanings first before that objective and that measured response comes along afterwards. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think getting that out to as many people and, and with formats like this, sitting down with people who have different different opinions and saying look we can have a conversation you know we might disagree on things we might vehemently disagree on things but there's still a way that we can chat and we can work towards what actually happened in these events yeah, yeah. and usually some middle ground of what happened in these events rather than jumping to snap judgments about people yeah, yeah. and i and i think the biggest part of that is this jump as we as we touched on to to bad motivations the idea that this guy isn't just smirking or, you know, he didn't just find something funny or he didn't remember a joke from yesterday. He's actually a racist and a horrible person. It's, it's that jump to mm. bad motivations rather than actually looking at the facts of the case, um, which I think is something we really need to row back on and, and is something that's really driving the current polarization in our politics. Mm. We should drive
0: those people off of line we should We should just eradicate them from the discussion. <laughs> Everybody who has a reaction, we should just kick off the platform
1: maybe 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 when somebody tweets, there has to be like you have to log on to the tweet and then there's a mandatory cooling off period where you where like a loading think, screen <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like are you sure you want to say this because? You know, you probably really should think about that
0: with, a, with know, a, a very disapproving, like mother figure, just like looking at you from the screen. Are you sure?
1: <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So it's it's like the idea that people say, like, do you do you want to send a text to your ex-girlfriend at three in the morning when you're drunk? Maybe write it and then leave it until the morning and then think about it when you wake <laughs> up. And then you're always like, oh, my God, I nearly <laughs> said that. Huh. Maybe we need, maybe we need some sort of. Uh, if not mandatory you know voluntary cooling off period for uh, for twitter spats in
0: in a way we in a way i think we are living more and more in a simulation we're we're living in a simulation of reaction and maybe if there is like some sort of good possible stuff that can come out of like all the craziness that we're putting ourselves through is that the younger generation or the next generation or just society as a whole will like start to reflect on what's going on and saying we're kind of being foolish we're kind of being foolish um, but at the same time, it's really fun to be a fool. So you have to balance that out with being wise. You can't just be wise all the time. I'm not, I'm not advocating perfect wisdom for everything. Cause I like jokes and I like puns and I like a little bit of trolling goes a long way to just diffuse the situation. Yeah, but. Of, course,
1: of course of course, it does. I, I, I think, I think something you sort of alluded to is, is very important in all of this. It, it's the amount of leaps in the way that we interact with, with one another, has been so fast. You know, we, we've gone in 20 years from, you know, having to write a letter to someone or, or call them up on the telephone to now we can have instant access to everyone all of the time, mm-hmm. whenever we want. And, and, and you know, we, we haven't quite dealt with mm. how should we behave in, in in that particular way. You know, I would have never called someone up or sent them a letter calling them a racist sexist you know bigger because it requires that sort of it requires uh, more of a human interaction for me to write something down or to talk to someone face to face or Mm -hmm. to have them physically on the phone so that they can react but if i can write it in 180 characters you know behind hiding
0: behind an icon and a name that's not really an anonymous
1: icon and and i know that there's not going to be much um you know much by way of of consequences for that and i also know that there's a group of people who dogpile on and support me no. i don't think we've actually as you as you were kind of alluding to or or maybe overtly said thought about what the societal standards are for for doing that hmm. that we wouldn't do these things in real life i you know we wouldn't swear and harangue and call someone the worst person in the world Potentially in real life, but we would do it online where we have that level of anonymity and that one step back from being in front of the person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that just comes with experience, like as as it becomes more of a common thing. We're still in the early knockings of the Internet, as you said. A lot of this still is still very new, and we haven't worked out how to how to deal with one another.
0: Yeah, we're all yeah. I guess like on on, on a massive society level, we're still like working out through our like thirteen year old. I'm just going to say the stupidest thing possible yeah. time, yeah. you know, in life kind yeah. of thing. And
1: I, I I actually think there's a there's a really interesting point of this is that if if everything that we say now is going to be archived and, and tracked, and, and people get on Facebook when they're, I don't know what if there's an age limit now, but let's say 16, or whenever they're allowed on Facebook. I think it's 13 now, yeah. 13, and we're, and we're, I think about the things that I said and did when I, you yeah. know, between 13 and and in university, getting drunk, and and exploring different opinions, and different ways of thinking about things, and, and I look back now, and I think, God, what was I doing, or, or cringe at the th- sort of things I thought or said, that Maybe what will happen is there needs to be some sort of moratorium where you can expunge everything on Twitter and Facebook, you know, a five-year cycle or something, just to preserve your sanity.
0: Interesting, Um, yeah. Because the idea… Like a mandatory, you have to go back through your internet footprint and edit everything that… or or respond yeah. to yourself you you have to go through a every year for like one week kind of like lent you have to just yeah. go through and meditate on all of your product from the previous 12 months or something
1: like yeah. that yeah yeah exactly on a on a time scale which is reasonable for a person to to change their opinions hmm. like a year or, or two years or whatever because at, at the hmm. moment the the way that we've done those social interactions the 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 way that we're we're behaving in social interactions seems to be that if you said something wrong 10 years ago so thinking about the, the, the Kevin Hart situation that now destroys you in the modern day whether you've changed your opinions or, or you haven't so while we're trying to work through as you say that 13 year old adolescent trying to work out what's going on in the world you're now being judged in the modern day as a 35 as a year old for what you were doing when you were
0: yeah.
1: you know that naive and stupid um,
0: yeah. uh, and as you say it, and it's completely politically motivated because it doesn't align with any sort of reasonable behavior. Like, like nobody can expect that they themselves are one continuous entity that has always been right their entire life. But like when... When we find one chink in somebody else's armor we can go after that like i've i've gotten a lot of interesting blow back from my discussion with graham linehan uh earlier this week which put me in contact with this huge slew of people who are very upset and very militant about trans rights in the uk and and interacting with them uh, it's just like wow, you guys are just saying the same thing over and over and over again, and now you're going through my post history and like bre- bringing up this one thing I said tongue in cheek, you know, like to to prove how right I am, like how much of an alt right character taking two seconds out of a video to show just how like how sexist and misogynistic I am, you know. It's just like wow, and I can't really even take them seriously, but I know at some point I so, uh, on a, if I the the larger I get.
1: Yeah. the the more the more, envy, the,
0: people... uh, the more likelihood that like like yeah. one little misstep is going to take me down and people are going to ignore like the hours and hours of of discussion that I'm trying to host you know because i said that one thing um taken out of context stripped of intent um you know because it, cuz it will then uh, destroy me or whatever you know yeah. uh, and it's just it's silly that we're going in this direction because like what do we expect from each other yeah. what what do we expect out of common discourse and are we well, going to just have to like section ourselves off and like okay yeah. you guys can do hyper utopia land on the internet and I'm going to be in the dirty land because even though there's going to be some shit out there yeah. I'm going to be able to like you know make mistakes and have wiggle room to be myself it's,
1: it's, it's essentially I mean I mean I'm not the first person to say this by, by any means but it, it's essentially the new puritanism right yeah. unless you are as pure as a driven snow if there's any chink in your armor they will find it yeah and and, uh they will they will expose you and and try to cast it in a certain way and again it's that it's that leap to ill motivations whereas maybe Mm. you just said something stupid or you were joking with a friend or or whatever it is my my attitude towards this because i have i have worried about this Mm. my attitude towards this is that i think apologizing doesn't get you anywhere you just have to own it you have to say you know look i messed up there i said something that wasn't right um, you know, I've discussed with people. I've changed my opinions. Um, or if you think you're right, just stand by it. I think mm-hmm. I think the more people stand up and say, "Look, your moral bulldo- bulldozer doesn't have any power here." Hmm. You know, that's how I feel about these things. If you want to go a- and try and destroy my life, fine. I think from what I've seen anecdotally is that the people who do that tend to not get destroyed as easily. You know, you have Trump in the White oh, House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have Trump in the White House and he's, you know, the dirtiest character that you could possibly ever imagine. But because he doesn't allow that, that moral bulldozer to to go over him, there's a certain group of people in his base who, who you know, they love that, that he, he fights back against that power. I think, you know, as much as I yeah. am not a fan and a supporter of Donald Trump, I think – That characteristic is incredibly useful because as you say, what are we expecting from one another that we're as pure as a driven snow? No, we can call each other out on, you know, something you've said or, or something you've done in the last, you know, six months or whatever. But if you want clarification about how I think about something, ask me, don't go back 10 years and try and infer what 25 year old Sam thought about a particular issue when he knew nothing about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, as you say, I don't, We're holding people to a standard that I don't think anyone can can ever hope to live up to.